Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Amen. So we're going to get into the Word today. I'm going to just pray over this. We're going to pick up with the first love thing again. First love, now what? Now what? Okay, so God, we just thank you today for your word. We thank you for the invitation that you're calling us to, to know you more, to love you well, to experience your fullness, to experience your heart. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just teach us today, to show us where we need to go, to show us how to experience you at deeper levels. And I thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to to see places where, where maybe, God, we can we can shift places where you're drawing us into that sweet spot with you that maybe we've walked right past the opening in the past, but Lord, there's more and more and more of you to experience. And so we lean into your word today. We thank you that it transforms us, God. And we thank you that in your presence, in that place, you take us from glory to glory. So we give you praise for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got this really... Um, interesting thing that God's calling us into, and it's so abstract. It's so, uh, you know, as we talk about first love, and we talk about faith, and we talk about the the core stuff that God's calling us into, um, sometimes it can be difficult to be like, what does that look like practically speaking? Like, I don't, I don't feel like I can just sit there and, you know, pray for three hours at a time, or I don't feel like I, I can, I know how to engage in that way. I've got like real issues, real stuff. But we need to understand that when God calls us towards a topic, it's because it's the stuff that we really need. Whether we think we need it or not, whether we think that that's the issue or not, it's going to be the thing that is the real cry of our heart. It's the real thing that God's leading us into. And so pressing into that a little bit further, we're going to walk through some of the stuff. We actually sang a bunch of it this morning, Neil, so thank you. We sang it, now I'll just give you scripture references for it. Basically, that's how that works. So uh, God's obviously saying something to us about how we trust him, how we engage him. I was thinking about even, Wayne and I were talking this morning with the uh, prayer thing starting tonight, like what are we expecting? And uh, what would happen if, you know, we're six or eight weeks into this, we're doing the book, we're studying, we're learning, we're praying, and nothing really has changed? What, what would our response be? And I think sometimes what we don't realize is that we're looking for like, I, I want some big ticket item. I want some big breakthrough. I want some, you know, some big promise to be revealed. But underneath it all, what we're actually pursuing and what we actually crave is him. And 100% of the time when God calls us into his presence to meet with him, to learn from his word, to, to pray, to experience him, he's the reward. He's the reward. And so when we, when we come at that place, then we're, we're looking at his face. We're not just hunting at his hand. What does he have? What does he have? What does he have? We want to know who he is, how he operates. And that becomes the foundation for experience what he has. That what he has is a byproduct of who he is. It's the, it's the outcome of who he is and how we experience him. So we want to lean into who he is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the substance of things hoped for. So I got to have enough faith. I got to have enough faith. I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the promises. I got to have enough faith. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
So what are you hoping for? What does hope even mean? And hope basically by definition in the, in the word in the Greek where some of our scriptures are coming from today, it is a verb, which is, I, you know, they've extended this since I was in school. It used to be like we had nouns, verbs, adjectives. It was descriptors, action words, things, right? But a verb is an action, an occurrence, or a state of being, it says. It means to expect or to look for or specifically to trust. Trust is a word that came out already in worship this morning. Trust is the big ticket item. Trust is the thing that most of us have issues with. Trust can be challenged because of life experiences, because of people we've been in relationships with, because of past circumstances. Trust can be a thing. Some people trust easy. Most people don't. Most people trust is a thing. So if, ho- if faith is a substance of things hoped for, or if faith is a substance of the, the action of trusting, it's hard to stand in faith if you don't actually have the action of trusting. If, if, I, can't, if I can't put into practice my trust, I'm going to have a hard time standing in faith, which means when God tells me to do something or he says something, my internal dialogue is going to be, how do I know this is true? Why should I trust this? I don't know if I can step out. How do I, is there proof? Is there, I need somebody, I need 19 other people to confirm this for me. I need to make sure that it comes in multiple ways and multiple sources because I'm not sure that I trust what I'm hearing right now. Does that make sense? So we can say, have, have faith, stand in faith. You know, you just need to be in faith. Great, but if I don't trust, faith has nothing to land on. So I have to come back into this trust thing, which is actually the relationship side of it. So when Jesus is calling us back to first love, I believe he's wanting to activate faith on other levels, but we can't get there if we don't know who we are believing in. If we don't actually trust his heart, we don't actually trust his nature. When we come into Christ, we are not just coming into a belief system, we are coming into a relationship. Hopefully you all know that. It's not just uh, an idea. He's not just a a way of structuring our lives. Christianity is not just a, a, a way we manage our faith. It's a relationship with the living God and relationships have to be cultivated. Relationships have to be pursued. It was funny, I was watching this epically boring documentary yesterday. I was on the edge of a nap, so in fairness. Um, But it was on these people who have spent like a long time, like years, every year they cycle back because they're trying to find Noah's Ark. And I'm like, I mean, they climb mountains. They have to get all kinds of permits. They have to, uh, it's in the middle of this place that has like incredible, like Mount Ararat's in the middle of um, incredible political unrest and, and nations that are fighting against each other. It's also near a volcano. It's also covered with a glacier. There's like all this crazy stuff. So if anything shifts or shakes, they, you know, what they thought they saw, it disappears again. So they've been like drilling for years and they drill down. They have like guys doing, um, what do you call it, like sonar and everything, and they're trying to find, and it looks like there's a thing that's about the exact same size as it should be for that, that's the arc, so they're drilling down, and you know, they, it's a thing. Um, I'll save you the time. They don't find it. And <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were looking for a nap, but um, 
the interesting thing about it was they said um, it is one of the things, one of the pieces of biblical history that it is, it is in most of the stories, most of the populations around the world have their written history and then they have the spoken history. So the stories that get told from one generation to another. And Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and multiple other uh, faith bases around the world, like something like 90% have the story of Noah's Ark in their verbal dialogue. They, they have different ways of explaining it. There's different um, details, like how many people were on the boat or whatever, but the basics are there. And so the reason that they're trying to find the actual boat is because they want proof that it's not just a story, but that God really exists. Because if they can find the boat, it proves that that person really existed. There was an actual relationship between Noah and God, and therefore God really exists. And so it's got this whole big connotation to it. But I thought it was so interesting that like millions and millions and millions of dollars have been spent trying to prove that God exists. Because if God really exists, it changes everything. Now, I hope you know today that God exists. And what I, what I catch out of that dialogue is if God exists then, if they say it on the documentary, then I have to believe it for myself. If God exists, then that changes everything. It literally should change everything. So I have to come into a place where if he really exists and I know that to be true, I am willing to have any part of my life change. I am willing to have him. If he's actually God, then I am willing to trust him with how my life plays out. I'm willing to trust him that he knows stuff I don't know, that he's leading me places that I haven't been, that he has a plan that I maybe can't see, but I'm choosing to trust him and I'm leaning into the actual relationship. And when the relationship is there, then the things that he instructs me are easier to understand. I'm familiarized with his voice. I'm familiar with how he talks. I'm familiar with, you know, the tone and the function of, of, of how he normally does things. It's like this um, thing that's happened. If you've ever played like group games, um, like whatever, like Pictionary or Password or whatever, where you're trying to convey to a partner a word without saying it, right? Or minimal hints. You don't want to play with the people that have been married for 40 years. Because they just look at each other and they're like, oh yeah, it's a dog eating an ice cream cone. For sure it is, yeah. They, they, have, they know each other's language and stuff. And it's just like, you just know you're going to lose. If they've been together long enough, they've got their way of talking. They know stuff. It's like that with God. When, when we, people come and they'll say like, I, you know, I believe God's directed me to do this and this and this. And other people are like, how do you even know that? God doesn't talk to me. Yeah, he does, but we have to build on the relationship. And the more we learn his voice, the more we experience his presence, the more we get in the word and figure out his nature and, and experience who he is, the more we pursue that first love, the quicker we are to go, yep, that's what he wants. I, oh, I can see that. Yeah, no, that's totally like him. That would be just like God to do that. Like, it's just quick for us, right? So we want to pursue the relationship and not just the what do I do? How do I, how do, I do Christianity? How do I do faith? We're going to start tonight with this Bible study on prayer. We're not going to talk about how we do prayer. We're learning how to communicate with him. 
That's pursuing the relationship. Prayer is literally just communication. So we're going to help. And that's like every, every, you know, whether you're in business or a family relationship or whatever, we all need to learn how to communicate with the people that are around us. So when we learn prayer, we're pursuing him and we're figuring out how to talk to him. How's the best way to express our heart? What is that he wants to hear from us? We're learning that. We're learning the relationship. But we naturally as humans have a tendency to pursue the do instead of the who. So we need to learn when we're talking about faith, even though I do need to understand how to, how to have a breakthrough financially, I do need to have an understanding of how to have a breakthrough in relationships, in my job, in my business, in my purpose, whatever. What I really do need is to find the one who holds it all and has all the answers. In him is everything that I need. Um, Acts 16, 30 and 31 is a good example of this. This is when uh, Paul and Silas had been in prison, prison doors opened, uh, nobody left. And then the, the prison guard comes and he says, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? Because that's the first response. What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, so I need to believe. I need to believe. That's what I need to do. I need to believe. I just need to believe. I need to believe. I believe. What does that even mean? Like, I believe, okay, how is that a do? It doesn't make any sense unless it's connected to the who. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an actual connection part of a who that they're meant to connect with. The weird thing about this word believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it actually means, again in the translation in the Greek, to have faith upon, to entrust, or to put trust with. So if trust is the actual action of expecting or looking for, I'm, I have the action of trust and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ means to put trust with, then literally what must I do to be saved? I need to put my trust in actively Jesus Christ. I actively trust him. I actively put my life in his hands. I remember... Um, one trip, Wayne and I were traveling through uh, Los Angeles, and we had to we had to take a shuttle from one terminal to the other. In hindsight, we should have just walked. Turns out that like the buses and the shuttles and the, all the stuff was just a, you know, it was a thing. And we get in there, and there's this like, there's music pumping, and there's this like large black lady, and she's like, "Oh, I'm about to drive this bus," and we're like. <laughs> drive us where? Where are we going? We're like hanging onto the pole and she's like zipping around because, you know, we got on and said, we've got a pretty short connection. Well, she, she made it. She got us. She got us there. But we have this immediate response of not, not, you know, can she get us? It's, do we trust her? Because she seems a little jacked up, you know? Do we, do we want to put our life in her hands? is what we're asking ourselves, right? Do we actually feel like she's got the goods to get us there in one piece? When we, when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just, do you want to join this religion? 
Do you, want to, do you want to become a Christian? Whatever that means, right? People's different perceptions of it. It is, do you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is? That he actually died, that he actually rose again, that he actually lives right now, that he's made a way for us to experience God person to person, heart to heart. Do we actually believe that there is a king who is above all kings? There is a Lord who is above all lords. There is a God who is above all small g gods and he actually has invited us into his family and therefore he is worthy of me putting my life in his hands giving it to him accepting the life that he's offered to me and moving into a new way of being that's a whole different kind of thing than believe in believe in no put your life in his hands right put your life in his hands we got a a paper in the mailbox maybe you did the other day too because uh, there's a certain group that is celebrating the memorial of Jesus's death uh, which is worth nothing if he didn't rise again right anybody could die but not everybody could raise from the dead for all of our sins. Jesus was seen bodily in the flesh. He was seen, people touched him, people saw him, people talked with him. He had risen from the dead and he ascended. If I believe that, do I actually think he doesn't understand my grocery bill? Come on. It is a next, it's not just, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, I, be, I entrust my life to Jesus. I, I put myself in his hands and I believe that God knows the whole picture. I believe that God is who he says he is, which is a good God. So let's walk through what this looks like then in the practical, because I, I know some of us might be like, I want to, but like legit, Stuff has to get handled. Like, I have to have a breakthrough. I don't know what that means. Well, it's going to be a very deliberate choice. It's going to be a very deliberate, like, not, not setting your mind aside, but taking your thoughts and setting them on things above. It's deciding not to just, I'm not going to worry about it. No, I'm not going to worry about it because I am praying and offering supplication for all things. I am literally giving it to God. I'm not just ignoring that it exists. I'm partnering with God. And the beautiful thing about this is that God is calling us into his kingdom advancement. Like he's invited us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, he's invited us to partner with him. But in order to do that, we have to trust him with us. Does that make sense? Like it's hard to partner with somebody who's not actually in the vehicle with you. It's hard to go to the same place if you're not together. And so God's inviting us into this. Number one, the relationship. The relationship requires a willingness to trust. It requires a willingness to trust. So for many of us, again, previous brokenness leads to future mistrust. I've been hurt in some way. I have been dismissed. I have been broken. I have been damaged. I have been, you know, whatever has happened. Maybe, maybe every, you know, father figure in your life has lied to you or failed to you. And so when you hear that he's a good father, it's like, what is that? I don't even know how to process that. 
Trust, though, requires us, when we're talking about trusting Jesus, we have to decide that the trust is warranted by who he is, not by my past experiences. We have to determine to separate him from our earthly relationships. God is not man. He's God. And so just a couple scripture verses for that. Numbers 23, 19. And maybe some of us, you just need to study on this. Maybe the trust factor is actually really difficult for you. But this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Straight up, what paraphrase, God can't lie. The end. Like that's, we, but what about, but what? No, he can't. He can't. So if that's his nature, it goes on Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He can't lie, and he doesn't change. He's not going to be in a bad mood. You're not going to come to him, and he's like, not today. I have had enough. You know, we're not going to hit him on that last straw on the camel's back, right? He is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus that you love in the Gospels is the Jesus who is present and available to you today and the one you will be with in eternity. He is the same. That, that helps with the trust level. It helps with the trust level to read the Gospels and be like, okay, that Jesus I love, that's who he is. Maybe I've been hurt by people. Maybe I've been hurt by spiritual figures. Maybe I've even had church leadership hurt, whatever. Uh, and if that's the case, on behalf of church leaders, I apologize. And I would ask you to direct your affection to the one who does not change and does not lie. Second Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It means that he is no matter what, faithful. You might have been cheated on. You might have been abandoned. You might have been lied to. You might have been broken and discarded. But God is faithful. Not just he acts that way. He is. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. So from that premise, right away, when we say, okay, belief is to trust. I, hope is to trust. So if I'm going to have faith, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, and hope is really trust, and trust means I actually to entrust myself into, then if I'm going to have faith in God, I have to decide to entrust my life to the one who cannot lie, who does not change, and is utterly faithful. Doesn't that just sound life-giving? I mean, honestly, that's, that's how this process works. So when we, have, uh, when we receive Jesus by faith, we must decide to trust. There's uh, an old hymn by Louisa Stead. Some of you know it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And I love her words on this one. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. That's a big... Like, I mean, it's a, it's a line, but it's a big statement. To trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. How do I know you're going to do it? How do I know that's who you are? How do you, I mean, we can say it about the promises of God. We can say it about, I don't, I don't you know, I don't know how you're going to solve my finances. I don't know how you're going to solve this health situation. Do you know up close and personal, a lot of us struggle with, you say I'm accepted. You say I'm loved. 
You say I've been adopted into the family. I don't know why you would do that. How do I know that's true? I wouldn't do that if I was you. If I was God, I would not accept me. I would not choose me. So how do I know? And we struggle with the very core basics of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm loved by God. I'm seen by God. But we have to decide to receive that by faith and entrust ourselves into who he is, to take him at his word. It goes on, it says, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Isn't that beautiful? 1882, people were wrestling through the same stuff we wrestle with today. God, give me the grace to trust you even more. You've been good. I know your word says you don't change. I know your word says you don't fail. I know you've been faithful in the past. Give me the grace to trust you even more, to put even more of myself into your hands, to put even more of myself into your care, to trust you with every aspect of my life. Once we've decided there's a willingness to trust, trust requires a willingness to know. A willingness to know. And knowing means I don't just believe or entrust myself, I decide to get to know who you are. And this is really the core of why we can trust. You can see we're already working it backwards, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is trust. And trust means I need to know whom I have trusted in. This is, this is working ourselves back into this beginning space. There's a quote from uh, Tyler Statton that says, the thing that calms fear isn't faith, it's trust. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Trust is confidence in the character of God. That distinction could change your reality right now, could change your prayer life. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Trust is confidence in the character of God. So I'm not just standing on the promise, I'm trusting the promiser. Yes. It's a better way of stating it actually. I can be looking at the promise, looking at the promise, looking at the promise, looking at the promise, but if I don't trust the promiser, what's the point? I have to care about the nature and the character of the one who has promised because he is faithful. He does not change. He cannot lie. When, when I get to know him, there's a place where on the inside of me, I can just rest knowing he's capable of handling this. Have you ever delegated something and you seriously question if the person you've delegated it to has the competency to fulfill the, the obligation? You might as well do it yourself because you're so tense, it's so painful watching somebody or something that you've delegated out and you're like, oh, oh no, got it, you got it, that's good, that's good, okay, yeah, I'm just, um, but I'm, mm. and you get to the end of whatever happened and you need a rest because it was so exhausting supervising. <laughs> right? Every parent in the house is like, totally. <laughs> When we trust something to God, if we don't trust his character, we like release it to him and take it back and release it and take it back. And we're just, how are you doing with that? Are you, I'm just going to be looking for more confirmation about that. And I need to just talk to a few people and I'm entering every single prayer line I can possibly find. And I'm just going to make sure that it got to the right column of your to-do list because I know you got a lot going on, Lord. And you know, we can be so obsessed. God's like, you know what? You want it that bad? Just do it. 
Just handle it. Or cast your cares upon me because I care for you. We actually, we benefit the place of rest, the place of life comes from learning his character, choosing to know him. The issues that we have, the things that we need answers because he wants to bring in a harvest. That's just one example. It's the things where, where literally you've got this issue with a person and it really needs to work out and you just like, God, smite them. And you can, you can find agreement in the word in the Psalms of King David when he's having a moment and you're like, I am praying the word, Lord. And God's like, you know what? Bless them. What? Bless them. Okay. You know, like it's not always instinctual to do the kingdom things. But if we trust the one who asks us, we know he's good. We know he has our best interest in mind. We know he sees things that we don't see. We can trust him and we can do what he asks us to do and just leave it with him. It changes everything. But we have a hard time doing that if we don't know him. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. That's a helpful line. He knows you need all these things. We're not sitting there going, God, have you forgotten me? No, he hasn't. But sometimes he walks us through these places of, of um, you know, the squeeze so we can experience him in brand new ways. He's never, ever late, but often really close. <laughs> I sometimes feel like God because almost everywhere I go, people are waiting for me to show up and I'm, I'm not always late, but I'm often late. Er, than I want to be. And, uh, and I know that, look, when I walk into a room and people are like, I feel like God walks into that sometimes where we're like, you know, we're sitting there, we got our bank card app on our phone open and we're just like, okay, Lord, I trust you completely, trust you. Woo, really trust you. I just, Lord, you're, you're so good. You're so faithful. Oh, okay, God, you know. When I really know him though, it increases my ability to trust and release and actually live a life that's not in panic, hanging on for when is he gonna show up. If we don't know who he is, we will struggle with obeying his instructions because we lack confidence in his character. So we are deciding to trust who he is. So if we are willing to trust, means we're willing to know him, and knowing means we have to have a willingness to stay. And stay is an uncomfortable word. John 15, we're gonna just pick, cherry pick some verses out of this one. Um, John 15 is a brilliant passage, all in red, Jesus just explaining how things work. And he says, abide in me, uh, sorry, verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So I just pointed out one of the best scriptures in the Bible. That is one of the suckiest. Um, 
if you're wanting to stay in the flesh. Without him, I can do nothing. Nothing. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Not much. Who am I with Jesus? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Changes everything. The impossible becomes possible. The, the people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. The people who are on their own struggle with everything. So we can do nothing. We go down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This passage calls us into this place of relationship that is incredible. It's this place where God's like, honestly, I literally want to pour my life through you. I want you to be in me and me and you, and let's do this thing together. And if you do, you need to understand that the undercurrent behind the whole thing is radical, perfect love, and that the product of your life will be fruit, and it's going to be good fruit, and it's fruit that remains. Isn't that what we all actually want out of our lives? Don't we want to be fruitful? Don't we want to? You don't want to get to the end of your life, and you're like, well, I survived. What'd you do with your life? Not much. I survived. I have been here a lot of decades. What's the fruit of your life? What's supposed to come out of your life? What is the passion and the purpose and the dreams that he placed in you when literally he knit you together in your mother's womb? That stuff doesn't really have the opportunity to, to express itself unless we are abiding in the vine, unless we are connected to Jesus. So we have to decide to stay in the relationship, even when we don't understand what's going on, even when it's not moving as quickly as we thought, even when God's not saying the things that we want him to say, or he's not moving in obvious ways that we want him to move, we decide to stay and draw on the relationship. Abide means um, to stay in a given, state, uh, given place, state, or relationship in expectancy, to dwell, to continue, to endure, to remain, and this is my favorite, to stay present. This is what abide means. It means to stay present. We'll get there in a minute. <laughs> we will stay in the relationship. We will stay in that place with him. We will stay in pursuing him. But I've been praying for years and it hasn't happened. Stay abide, draw. Don't just sit there and say, you know, I've been quoting the promise back to you. Lord, I've been claiming it for 10 years and you haven't done it. You trust the promiser. You get to know the promiser. You stay in the relationship. You trust that he's faithful to his word. If that's what his word says, great. Now get to know him, put a draw on him. We don't question him because we're questioning the outcome of the the thing we've been praying for. We stay in that place of pursuit and we draw from him. We, we lean into him. Abiding, the actual uh, draw to stay in a given place, to stay in a given state, relationship, expectancy, to continue to endure, to remain, to be present, is a direct challenge to self-will. Ah, oh, I want to fix it. I want to help you, Lord. I want to make it happen. I want to do something. And when Jesus is like, you know what? Then I want you to just spend some time with me. 
I want to walk with you today. I want to talk with you. I want to teach you about some random thing that has nothing to do with this particular promise. What is abiding like? It's drawing on him what it is he wants to give you. Challenge to the self-will. My will has to decide I'm going to stay. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to put my life in your hands. Uh, John uh, 15.5 in the Passion Translation, I love this breakdown of it. It says, I am the sprouting vine and you are the branches. As you live in union with me as your source, faithfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. That breakdown, that, that interpretation of this scripture is beautiful. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. The bait is to pull off of the source, figure it out myself, tell myself that really I tried, I asked, God didn't, whatever. I'm still going to show up at church because I believe that God exists and I would like to not go to hell. So I'm going to do the stuff. No, God is inviting us into this place of walking with him, living in the kingdom, living in purpose. But we have to decide to do these things. The purpose of abiding in the vine is not actually the fruitfulness. That's the byproduct. The purpose of abiding in the vine is abiding in the vine. The purpose is the vine. The purpose is the tender of the vine. The purpose is the relationship that it's actually founded on. So we, in that place of abiding, we learn his nature. We learn his character. We learn his heart. And the things that then we pray for, the decisions that we make, that we feel like he's instructed us to, we can do. The final thing then in staying, if we decide to stay, we have to have a willingness to respond. And staying without a willingness to respond means you're about to have so much personal discomfort. You know, when you know that God's asking you to do something and you don't do it, there's just no rest. When you know God's nudging you that this is the way, this is the how, this is what I'm asking, and you just, you just can't get your head around it, your heart starts to ache because your heart's like, yes, yes. And your brain's like, how? We have to decide that if we're going to walk through this process, we are willing to respond. We could say then from the beginning to this point that if I am willing to stand in faith or I want to stand in faith walking the process back, then right from the beginning, I have to be willing to respond. Right? It's not all on God's end. It's on mine. He's available. Am I willing to partner with him in this? And what happens when we're in that place, the abiding reveals a few things to us. Um, when you're in that place of his presence and you're seeking him and not the stuff, not even just the answers, you're seeking him, you find that in that spot, you begin to discover your adoption. You feel in that place accepted. In the place of the, the abiding, the adoption process shows up and you're like, wow, God, you let me, you let me come in here. You chose me. You've welcomed me. This is a place I get to be. Your attitude is revealed. What is really in your heart shows up when you're abiding. What you really want to happen, what's, what's been hidden away, some of the stuff like good and bad. 
Some of the things that need to be cleared out and some of the things that you forgot were even in there begin to show up. There's, there's stuff that God tucks away for certain time periods. There's things that out of disappointment we tuck away and we forget that it's even in there until we're in that sweet spot with the Lord and he begins to tug it out again and the dreams begin to come to the surface. We begin to see our affections. What or who do we truly love? We find that when we're abiding in him. What is it we're actually after? He shows us, he reveals us what or who we really love. And some things need to get changed. And some things it helps us to know that's actually a passion. I should go after that. That's something you've called me to. That, that's something I should go after. And specifically for our purposes, you find out your assignment. You find out when you're in that place of abiding, which is really the place of first love, it's coming back to the beginning, you start to get a feel for what it is God's calling you to do and be. And very often it is not a big picture, here's the whole deal. Very often it's a here's the next step. And when you take the next step, you're like, dude, this is awesome, I can't believe I get to do this. And God's like, yeah, now do this. Okay, and you get a few of those in a row and you start to experience the bigger picture. I remember um, one time I was, I was uh, you know, just studying and meditating on this purpose thing and God gave me a picture of me and I was like a, I was like a pencil and it was like this big uh, circle and I could see this circle in front of me and it took all I could to jump to the next circle. And I jumped to the next circle and as soon as I got there, I saw there was another circle. And so in the vision, I jumped to the next circle and there were several jumps and then the circle pulled back and it was, it was a dot to dot picture and it was a picture of an elephant, which was very interesting because I ended up going to Thailand, which their national animal is an elephant and blah, blah, blah. There was a lot of stuff connected to it, but um, it was like, God was like, I can only trust you with one dot at a time. Otherwise, you will try and run around the whole picture. You're going to try and figure out the whole thing. So as I'm like, you know, a couple years later, as I'm teaching at the Bible school in Thailand, I'm like, this is awesome. I would have had no idea this was what you had for me. It was all the little choices along the way, the next dot and the next dot and the next dot. You get those dots in his presence. And it might not make sense, big picture. This has nothing to do with my life. It might. If it's in his presence, do you know the beautiful thing about praise is that it creates a boundary space. When you're in his presence, the enemy does not get to come in and plant thoughts. Do you know that? It's like the safest place to think is in his presence. There's a buffer. There's a boundary line. The, the word actually says you shall call your walls salvation, your gates praise. There's some stuff that we put in place in our relationship with him that, that now we can, we can think and we can feel, but we're in his presence. We're pursuing him and he gives us these next steps. Psalm 143.8 says, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk for I lift up my soul to you. Isn't that beautiful? This, this psalm kind of encapsulates the whole process. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. In other words, I'm deciding to be in this relationship, for in you do I trust. In you I actively put my life. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. I am deciding that my life is yours. You tell me what you want to do with it. 
What a fabulous way to live. That is so much better than this is the life I've planned. Could you bless it today, Lord? Just bless us. Just give us your presence. And God's like, you're supposed to be over there right now. Like why? I mean, he loves us. His grace and his mercy is there. But the sweetest place to be is exactly where he wants us to be, doing exactly what he's asked us to do, standing on the edge of faith because we trust the one who is faithful. What a beautiful spot. John 15, 16, again, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Our prayer life comes into agreement and into alignment with the correct assignment when we're in his presence. When we know him, we get to know his heart and we pray accurately. We absolutely should pray the word. I mean, that is our foundation point. We pray the word. But the word also needs to be understood in relation to who he is. You know, so that that we can cherry pick scriptures. You can find a, a, you know, pull a verse out of context for pretty much anything and say, I'm praying the word. Are you praying his intention though? Are you praying his nature? Are you praying his heart? And how do we know that? Like there's people who quote, you know, they're praying like as you say in Job, Well, that was Job's bad friend that said that. That was, you know, the whole book of Job is a dialogue and some of it's not so good and some of it is good, you know? And so you want to work the context of what it is and you understand the context when you understand the one who said it. The the maker, the, the one who holds the world together. This is what God is calling us to. When you are abiding in him and honoring him and getting to know his heart, prayer becomes effective. Not as a matter of reward, not because you spend time with me, I'll answer your prayer, but as a matter of accuracy. The accuracy comes because I know who he is and I'm praying in agreement to his will. That changes everything. We know, um, I'm just gonna have the worship team come. We know that the purest example of this um, that, that is just written out for us is the restoration of Peter, or my opinion, the purest aspect of this, is in John 21, and it's when Peter has betrayed Jesus, and he's gone off, and he's done his own thing, and he's in, uh, you know, he's in a bit of despair, and he's gone back to the fishing boats, and he's just like, I mean, I blew it. Jesus told me what I was going to be doing, and I, I just blew it. Like, I betrayed him when he needed me most, and so he doesn't trust himself, he doesn't trust his instincts. He doesn't trust the, the you know, that what he's experienced the last few years is, is even what he thought it was. The whole thing is a mess. And Jesus comes to him, and you know the story, he makes breakfast on the beach. In fact, that's the heading in some of our Bibles, breakfast by the sea, which is beautiful. And Jesus comes and he, he doesn't go, dude, like I expected you to have my back. Like straight up in the garden, I asked you to pray for an hour and you fell asleep. And then you wake up and cut a guy's ear off. Like I need more drama on the day I'm going to die. And this is what you do. And then you show up and you follow me. Great. I think somebody's in my corner. It's great to have the encouragement. And what do you do? You deny me three times. And I hang on the cross 
and I look down and you're not there. Where are you? See, this is how we play this stuff out in our minds. I felt like God asked me to do this and I didn't, so he's probably ticked at me. I thought God was like this and I, I clearly misunderstood. If I'm gonna have a talk with God, I know he's gonna expose my heart motives and I'm gonna find out that I suck. This is what we think is gonna happen if we decide to get close, if we decide to stay, if we decide to trust. But Jesus comes to Peter and he says, do you love me? It's the same thing that God's asking us right now. He's calling us back to first love, right? It's not like, wow, you've epically screwed up the last three months, three years, 13 years, 30 years. Jesus is not like, finally, let's fix this. He asks the same question he asked Peter. Do you love me? And then he gives him an assignment. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. See, the assignment comes as a product of the relationship. And our starting point is to focus on the relationship. Am I willing to return and come in and pursue first love? Am I willing to stand in faith? Because if I am, then I have to be willing to trust. And if I'm gonna trust, then I have to decide to, to know him. And if I'm gonna know him, then I have to decide to abide and stay in that place. And if I'm gonna stay in that place and I'm gonna experience him, I'm gonna have to be ready to respond. And you might be at any point in this journey in your walk with God. You might be at the like, oh, I so need to respond space. Or you might be right at the very beginning. Or it's like, I, I actually don't know if I trust. Or maybe it's, I have trusted and I feel like it didn't work. And so I've drifted a little bit. And you need to decide to stay. I wanna know everything about what I need to do. Learn Him, get to know Him. Because when you know Him, you'll know what to do. The process that he's calling us into right now is so pure and so beautiful. And I believe the reason that he's, he's asking us to go into this place in this season, I think that there are, I know that there are many in the valley of decision with major life stuff, like jobs, homes, careers, direction, ministry, all sorts of major things, relationships. You don't, you don't even, it's like, oh my goodness, is this actually, like, could that actually be God? Or I don't, like, I don't, I don't even know. It's not going to help you to have 12 people come around you and go, yeah, that's totally the right thing to do. You're going to need to hear from him. This is the way walking it. And he does that. The word tells us that he whispers in our ear. This is the way walk in it. It's King David saying, I trust you, show me your way. Show me, show me the path for this life. So I wanna pray over us this morning, if you would stand with me. And for each one of us, whether it's stepping into a deeper relationship with God or it's stepping into a major decision, that we would experience him. And it is very personal. 
We, we only know where we're at. But I know that this morning, if you feel like you can't trust him, you don't know him yet because he is trustworthy. If you feel like it's hard to abide and to stay, there's more to experience because he is good. His love is so good. For those whose minds just run all the time, the turmoil, the trying to solve it, the trying to, trying to fix it, trying to come up with a solution, kind of trying to, trying to figure out what's the best way to move. Be still and know that he is God. Be still. Decide in his presence. I will trust my life to you. I will trust my future to you. I will trust my marriage to you. I will trust my children to you. I will trust my health to you. I will trust my finances to you. I'm going to come in and I'm just going to, God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm praying. I'm communicating. I'm releasing it to you. And God, just show me your heart. Show me who you are. Show me your nature. Show me another part of you that I don't know yet. This is the sweet spot that he's calling us into. Because the life of passion and purpose is upon us. I believe the time is short and every day is of the essence. Lord, today we come before you as a people who have been drawn by you, who have been marked by you, who are loved by you. And we're so very grateful, Lord. We're so very grateful for your presence that is available to us, that is, that is right here and so tangible right now. And God, we ask your forgiveness for the places where we have equated you to our human relationships and we have mistrusted you, where we've been scared of being close to you, where we've tried to just do everything on our own because we don't think you're moving fast enough. God, we're so sorry. And today, once again, as we return and we reaffirm first love and first passion and first pursuit, God, we decide and we declare the choice to trust you. And God, as the words of the great hymn said, give us grace to trust you more. Give us grace to trust you more. Help us to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. Help us to be still and know that you are God. And Lord, where we've created boundary lines between us and you because of our own shame and our own limitations and our own uh, regret, God, we ask your forgiveness even for that. We thank you for the model that we see when you came and you restored Peter. And you came and found him and you just asked for his heart. You just asked for his heart. And so God, today... We bring our hearts completely before you. And we thank you that your wisdom and your guidance is available. We thank you that you offer it. And Lord, I pray for each one, each person, each couple, each family, as we seek your face about the individual things that we're walking through, I thank you for an encounter with your presence, Lord. I thank you that you teach us who you really are. I thank you that your word comes alive to us, God. When we open the scriptures, we can see the heart behind it. We can see your nature in it. We can see who you are as the master of the universe and the lover of our soul and everything in between. God, today, I just thank you that you take us deeper in you and you reveal to us what our faith should be founded on. Lord, that 
it becomes the substance of things hoped for. And our hope is founded in our radical trust of who you are. I thank you for next level release in this area. And Lord, as we begin to pursue you in the area of prayer, even tonight for our first evening service, God, we just thank you for meeting us here. We thank you that you're so excited for the conversation that we've been invited into. We look forward to it like a date night. God, you've invited us to sit and talk with you. And we just, we're so privileged and so honored to do so. Thank you for your blessing and your leading upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.